joyful heart is good medicine. A glad heart makes a happy face. Be joyful in hope, patience in affliction, faithful in prayer. Romans 12, verse 12. Fear not, for I am with you. Don't be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41, verse 10. Smile, Smile Jesus, Jesus loves you. Thank you for that beautiful scripture reading. Is it okay if I come down to this lower platform here? Is that okay? Um, it's great to be here in Avondale Memorial Church, my home church. Uh, my parents, we and, and our family, we shifted to Kurumbong in the beginning of 1996 and uh, went right through um, Avondale School and this was our home church. And uh, it's wonderful to be back. It's wonderful to see so many familiar faces, uh, pastors that, uh, that gave me Bible studies and mentored me. And uh, it's beautiful to have family here as well. A very, very special day for us. And thank you so much, Avondale Memorial Church, for your love and support of our family. And uh, I know mom and dad and us as a family, we're just so appreciative of all the visits and all the love that you have shown to us as a family, so praise God for this beautiful church family. I really mean that. It's, uh, of course, yeah, I'm actually, actually, uh, I'm actually pastoring at Kempsey Seventh-day Adventist Church. I was at Port Macquarie my first year out of um, college. I spent one year in Port Macquarie, then I had three years in Tamworth and Corindai churches, and now I'm just about to finish my second year at Kempsey Church, and it's a, it's a joy, it's a blessing. Kempsey Church is, is a beautiful family church and uh, God is really blessing and growing the church and so we, we give praise to him for that. But um, this morning we're going to be looking at our subject this morning is called Smile Through Trials. Of course you can notice there I've got the, uh, the bushfire, I got a picture from the bushfires, everything. Kempsey has been hit very hard uh, but I've been so proud of the local church, the way that the church has responded to these bushfires, the support they've given the community. In the evacuation center, we have had members giving counseling, massages, offering. We, we got 100 uh, mattresses from Stewart's Point delivered down to, to the uh, evacuation centers there and uh, some music and just involving and, and trying to help the community as much as possible. And whilst these trials we don't wish for them. We also recognize them as, as a sign that Jesus is coming soon and that Jesus is doing anything that he can to try and turn people to him and to recognize that our temporal comfort is nowhere near as important as our eternal uh, security in Jesus. Can you say amen to that? We don't believe that God causes these kinds of things, but we do believe that God allows them and that God does so for some kind of purpose hopefully, by God's grace, to turn many hearts to Him and that we can make the most of this opportunity as His representatives to point people to Jesus in these times. We're going to, why don't we pray once more before we go into our message this morning. 
Father in heaven, we just praise you for who you are, the King, the Creator, an awesome God. And Father, as we open your word, this, this, these holy scriptures that have been inspired by you, we pray that the same spirit that inspired the word of God would speak to our hearts and our minds today, we pray in Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, I was encouraged by that uh, story of uh, a very cold, a cold setting there on the mission field. In 2013, um, some, some friends and I, we went to, we were actually traveling to the Middle East. Uh, but on our way to the Middle East, we stopped over in China just for a couple of days. And if you were going to be in China just for a couple of days, what would you want to see? Well, you'd want to see the Great Wall of China, is that right? Well, we arrived in Shanghai, it was about minus five degrees, it was the second of, first or second of January, and um, we were on our way to the Middle East. We had not packed uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, cold weather clothing, although we did pack a little bit, as you can see in the picture. And uh, minus five, I was like, wow, this is pretty cold. And then when we looked at the weather in Beijing, it was going to be minus 15. And my friend assured me, he said, Marty, once it gets below zero, it's pretty much all the same. And um, I was like, oh, that's good to know. I hadn't experienced cold weather like that. But I tell you, when we were on our way to the Great Wall, it was a lot colder than Shanghai. It was absolutely freezing. I, I tried to put on almost every article of clothing that I had to try and stay warm. But uh, I don't like the cold at the best of times. And I just couldn't help but just complain about how horrible it was and how terrible this cold was. And so we, we did eventually make it there to, to the Great Wall, as you can see. Uh, I, did, I tried to put on everything that I had. For some reason, I only had one glove, which was, which was very bad. And, uh, you know, I, it's funny. The more I just thought about how cold it was, the more I complained about how cold it was, the colder it felt the colder it felt. There was really only one thing that I found actually somehow helped in this situation. And, and you're not going to believe what it was, but it was actually singing, would you believe it? When I would sing on this cold Great Wall of China, actually something in my heart seemed to warm me. I don't know if it was actually just a psychological thing, but it definitely seemed to help. And the question this morning is, when the cold and harsh trials of life blow in, how do we face them? Today in our Bible study, we are going to be looking at Acts chapter 16. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles. We're going to be looking at a story uh, of the Apostle Paul. Now, the Apostle Paul, he was a man who actually hated Christians originally. He, he persecuted them, but then he, of course, became one. And he was so overwhelmed by the grace which, which God had shown him that he devoted his life to, to tell others the good news of Jesus. And Paul was not a, he was, he was, he was accustomed, he was accustomed, he was no stranger to difficulties and trials. In fact, in some ways you could call uh, Paul's missionary journeys the missionary journeys of hard knocks. He would just get beat down, but he would get up again. And several occasions he was almost killed. And when we come here to Acts chapter 16, just before we come into Acts chapter 16, we have 
a small trial, relatively small trial, that Paul faces just within his own team at the end of Acts chapter 15. Paul and Barnabas actually had a disagreement. Um, Barnabas wanted to take a man by the name of John Mark with them on this particular missionary journey. But Paul said, no, this is not a good idea. And the Bible says in verse 39 of chapter 15, then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. Now, it's very interesting when I read this, you know, Paul and Barnabas, they were clearly men of God. Can you say amen to that? Do godly men have disagreements? Yes, even godly men have disagreements, but I love how that disagreement didn't stop them from doing God's work. Amen? You know, in fact, rather than becoming bitter of the trial within the church, they continued on with God's work. And I think this is a crucial thing. Sometimes our trials are within the church. This ought not to discourage us. We ought to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and continue to do the work that He has called us to do. Amen? Amen. And so we come to Acts chapter 16. Now Paul has got a new team, Silas and others. And they begin in Acts chapter 16 by going to previously established churches and strengthening those churches. And we pick up the story in verse 6. Verse 6, they're moving into new territory now to share the gospel of Jesus. And the Bible says, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. That would be Asia Minor, the province uh, of Rome. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision... Immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. In, in short, God was closing some doors and he opened a door for the people, for Paul and his team, to go to Macedonia. Very clearly, God directed them to go to Macedonia. Now, if God opens a door for you, you would generally expect that wonderful things would await you going through that door. Wouldn't that, would that be safe to assume that? Maybe. When God opens a door for us to walk through, it does not mean the path ahead will be free of trials, but it does mean that He'll be with us through those trials. And so Paul, had the, he could have the absolute assurance, him and his team, that Jesus would be with him as he went to Macedonia to preach the Word of God. Verse 11, Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony, and we were staying in that city for some days. So they come to Philippi, and they seek to establish a new church in Philippi, a populated city. It got its name from Philip of Macedon, who was the father of Alexander the Great. This was a considerable city. It would be a very strategic place to have a church in this city. 
And so Paul is laboring here, and verse 13 tells us that they get off to a really good start. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. So far, so good. They enter into Philippi. They now are meeting with, with Lydia and these other ladies who, are, who, are, who have formed this, this uh, prayer group, the meeting on Sabbath morning. And uh, Lydia, obviously, she's a seller of purple. The, the, the gospel, the writer Luke here, who wrote the book of Acts, indicates this to us. And that would suggest to us that she was quite a wealthy woman. She was a seller of purple. And she is just this true worshiper of God. She is a true seeker of God. When she hears the word of God, she just responds immediately. And I love it when you see that happen in someone's life. When someone hears the word of God. And, and rather than you know, doubting or standing back or questioning, or, they, they, they surrender themselves to, to hold, take hold of that word of God. And you can see their life blossoming. Lydia is just like a flower who's open to the sun. The more light of God's truth that she allowed in, the more she blossomed. And I believe that... Uh, It'd be, you know, what a blessing that is when someone just follows God's word uh, like Lydia does. And so they're off to a great start. But do things continue to go smoothly for them in their journey, in their mission in Philippi? In verse 16, the Bible continues. Now what happened? As we went to prayer, that would be prayer meeting, that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much fortune, much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Now when the gospel writer Luke, when he writes about this slave girl, he uses a particular Greek phrase when he says the spirit of divination that connects the kinds of activities that this slave girl was participating in to the pagan priestesses in a place called Delphi in Philippi. And the locals believe that this possessed slave girl with her shrieks and her cries actually was delivering messages from the spirit world. Sometimes very important messages that could even reveal the future. That's what some of the locals believed. And so they would pay good money to get you know, a message from the spirit world through this slave girl. Now you would think that her following Paul and his team around telling everyone, these are the men who are telling us how we can be saved. You would think that that would be a good thing, right? And yet the Bible tells us straight after this that Paul is greatly annoyed by this. He's distressed, in fact. He, he senses, he knows that the activity of this, this, girl, this possessed slave girl is actually going to hinder the work of the gospel. And I kind of liken it to this idea of guilt by association. You know, by, by this, 
slave girl saying, these are the guys we need to listen to. These are the guys we need to follow. These are men of God. Anybody who really knew her true character and then said, well, if she's promoting Paul and Silas, they must be kind of of the same, you know, the same ilk, the same group as she is. I mean, how would you feel, Avondale Memorial Church, if, um, if this man was out the front of the church just there on Freeman's Drive, someone impersonating Hitler, saying, you guys have got to come to Avondale Memorial Church. This church is wonderful. They will show you the way of salvation. It, wouldn't, it would be publicity, but it wouldn't be good publicity, right? Because people would think, if that's the kind of people that are associating there, I don't want to be a part of that. And so it seems as if Paul recognizes the activity of this slave girl is actually hindering their work. And the Bible tells us that in verse 18, it says, This she did for many days, but Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. And now things escalate very quickly. The masters saw that their hope of profit was gone. They seized Paul and, Barnabas, Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up against them and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Let's just pause there. In a mad frenzy, this, these, these masters have taken hold of Paul and Silas, and this mob has, has gathered around them. They've been dragged through the marketplace and they have been brought to the authorities, and now they have been beaten with rods. The, the, the word rod is actually referring to the Roman scourge. This was a, a lashing that was used for floggings. It was usually made of three leather lashings, one of oxhide and two of asshide. And th that, was the Jewish, that was the Jewish scourge. However, the Romans, in order to increase suffering... They would insert bits of metal and bits of bone into those leather lashings so that at each strike, it would literally rip open the skin of the person being beaten. And Paul indicates here that they had laid many stripes on them. Later on, when Paul was writing to the church in Thessalonica, he said, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. The Jews would put a restraint and say it would be 40 minus one, 39 floggings was the maximum that a person would receive. But the Romans put no such restrictions on their floggings and it seemed as if Paul and Silas were beaten mercilessly in this particular incident. And so here they are. They've been dragged through the marketplace. They have been beaten, beaten so cruelly. You know, some have wondered why Paul 
didn't tell the people who were beating him that he was a Roman citizen, as he does later in, when he's in Jerusalem in Acts 22. And some have said, well, perhaps Silas wasn't a Roman citizen. Perhaps Silas wasn't a Roman citizen. And so Paul didn't want to see Silas suffer alone. However, the probably the more likely option is that the frenzy of the mob was just so great that there was no opportunity to speak. There was no, there would have been no, they wouldn't have even heard the cries of Paul and Silas for any attempt for them to just consider what they were doing. They were in an enraged fury. And so Paul and Silas are in a a very difficult situation. Verse 24 says, Having received such a charge, this is the jailer, the one given responsibility to secure these men, to put them in prison. This jailer put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. In the Roman prisons, they would typically had an outer prison and an inner prison. The outer prison would allow light and air to come in. However, the inner prison was so dark and so gloomy, light could not enter, air could not enter, and the conditions of such a prison cell were incredibly difficult and would inflict a lot of suffering upon the person imprisoned in that cell. And so let's take a moment to just put this picture together. You know, these men have just been dragged through the marketplace. They have been beaten mercilessly. They've been put in the inner prison. Their feet are fastened in the stocks. They can't get comfortable. Their backs have been ripped open. What are they going to do in this situation? You know, sometimes we wonder, you know, why God has allowed certain things to take place in our life. We look at where we are in life and we say, how did this happen? Didn't God open the door for us to be here why is this taking place in my life? And I don't think either of us would have, would have blamed Paul and Silas at this minute if they had, if they had complained, if they had, if they had you know, verbalized their, their frustration with the situation they, they were in. You know, they, they could have easily doubted God's leading in their, in their missionary journey. You know, Silas could have, could have turned to Paul and said, why did you cast out that that demon out of that possessed girl. But what did they do? This is the key verse. This is the absolute key verse, verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. This is like supernatural. That doesn't happen normally. They have just been totally uh, beaten, you know, possibly possibly not even, uh, not much life left in them. And yet they're singing hymns and they're praying to God. You know, this is a, a fascinating thing. With astonishment, the other prisoners heard the sound of prayer and singing issuing from the prison. They had been accustomed to his shrieks and moans, cursing and swearing, breaking the silence of the night, but never before had they heard words of prayer and praise ascending from that gloomy cell. Guards and prisoners marveled and asked themselves who these men could be who cold, hungry, and tortured could yet rejoice. You know, when you go through a trial, people expect you 
They expect you to complain. They expect you to verbalize all the frustrations of your situation. And when you actually can praise God through that trial, people look at you and they say, how is that possible? What do you have? And the Bible goes on and it tells us that suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison was shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, this was the guy who was given charge over these men. He would be held responsible if anyone escaped. He awakes from his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he supposes that the prisoners had fled. He draws his sword and is about to kill himself when Paul's voice pierces through the darkness of the night. You know, this man who had put them into the inner prison, who had treated them with such cruelty, Paul and Silas are going to repay that cruelty with kindness. How must those words have sounded to that jailer who on the very verge of, of killing himself, do yourself no harm, is, Paul, is what Paul says. How must those words have sounded? And so the Bible says that he called for a light. He wanted to see the faces of these men who he had mistreated so badly and yet were going to repay him with absolute kindness. He wanted to see these men who he had listened to singing praises to God and praying through the night. He called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas and now he only has one interest and he says to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to have the kind of peace that you have through this trial? What is it that you've got that I'm missing? What must I do to be saved? And they don't point the, they don't point the jailer to themselves. They just say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. You know, what was it? that drew the jailer to accept Jesus? Was it Paul's amazing speaking ability, his incredible intellect, which no doubt he had? Was it the fact that God used him to do mighty miracles, even casting out demons? Was that what drew the jailer to accept Jesus? I love this quote in the book Acts of the Apostles. His zeal and devotion... And above all, his willingness to suffer for Christ's sake exerted a deep and lasting influence upon the converts. Amen. It wasn't Paul's intellect. It wasn't the miracles that he performed. It was his faithfulness through the trial that inspired faith in that jailer that night. And led to that jailer accepting Christ. Some have said that perhaps that man of Macedonia in the vision was that jailer that Paul saw. We don't know that for, for a fact, but perhaps it was. And that through faithfulness, through that trial, through, through singing praises to God, through that, through that storm of affliction, that jailer was led to want to have what those men had. 
And he was led to accept Jesus along with all of his households. How should we endure trials? First of all, we must recognize that trials are a part and parcel of the Christian walk. They're a part and parcel of life. And be prepared to face them. What did Jesus say? He said, in this world, you will have trouble. Jesus was not a sugarcoat preacher, was he? He told it as it was. He told it as it was from a heart of love. In this world, you will have trouble, he says. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Can you say amen to that? Jesus has overcome the trials of this world. And if we're connected with him, he will, he will take us through. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus might suffer persecution. Did I, did I get that right? Will suffer persecution. If, if you want to stand for Jesus, you're inviting persecution. But Jesus promises to be with you so that you can even smile through that trial. Secondly, we must understand the purpose of trials and ask Jesus to use the trial to make us more like him. James, two, James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. James, are you serious? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's a tough verse, isn't it? That's a tough verse, but it's true, and it's good. It's so much better than just giving up in despair when trials come. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Christ Subject Lessons, page 61, through conflict, not ease and pleasure, but through conflict, the spiritual life is strengthened. Trials well born will develop steadfastness of character and precious spiritual graces. Can somebody say amen to that? It doesn't just say trials, it says trials well born. It's, it's, the trial doesn't automatically make us a, a more Christ-like individual. But if we allow that trial to... If we, if we surrender to Christ and we hold closer to Him through that trial, we will grow to be more like Jesus as a result. And, you know, patience. I've heard the, the definition of patience, and it's a pretty interesting one. It's to endure affliction without complaint. To endure affliction without complaint. That is the way to bear that trial well. You know, when a trial comes and we throw our hands up in the air and we verbalize all of our frustrations and we, 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 we become super negative about life, that's not bearing the trial well and we won't grow as a result. But if we do, if we do surrender that trial to Jesus and we say, yes, Jesus, I want to cling to you even more sincerely than I have before, then we will grow through that trial. Thirdly, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus and keep Calvary and eternity in full view. Looking unto Jesus, the author of Hebrew writes, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured that cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, think about Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, 
lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You know, the first person that we should think about when we are feeling overwhelmed, when we're feeling discouraged, when we're feeling that life has become too much for us, we look to Jesus. Think about Jesus on that cross. Even though the weight of sin was separating him from God, he could still say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He could still think about his dear mother through that time. And Jesus still bore a patience and a faithfulness through that incredibly, a trial that you and I will never have to face. But he was so faithful through that trial. Consider Jesus and think of eternity. Think of eternity. Think of the promise that tells us that the trials that we face now are actually very very much nothing compared to what glory will be revealed in eternity. And finally, rejoice in the Lord, remembering this very important truth that others will be impacted by your attitude. Endure that trial faithfully, rejoicing in the Lord, remembering that others will be impacted by your attitude. Notice this quote in Steps to Christ 119. Look at this quote. What a quote. I think I was a little bit annoyed when I first read this quote because I didn't want to surrender to it, right? You know, But I can't change you know, what's written, (laughs) it has to change me. Make it a rule never to utter one word of doubt or discouragement. You can do much to brighten the life of others and strengthen their efforts by words of hope and holy cheer. She goes on to say that if we verbalize all of our frustrations, we may recover. But the person who heard us verbalize all those doubts and discouragements may not recover. If Paul and Silas had have been moaning and groaning in the prison, would the jailer have been drawn to accept Jesus Christ? It's doubtful. But because they were rejoicing in Jesus, something in them, the Holy Spirit in them, drew that jailer to go, I want what these men have. I want what these men have. You know, Philippians what Paul later writes to the church at Philippi, in this place where he suffered so much, he writes back to them and he tells them, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. And everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I love that that statement, that quote of scripture is in the context of going through trials. You know, it's not in the context of shooting a three-pointer in basketball or something silly, frivolous like that. It's in the context of going through a trial so severe because how else could you rejoice unless Christ gave you the strength? It's Jesus who lives in, inside of us, who will give us the strength to endure that trial, to be able to praise God through that storm. You know, some friends of mine, they recently, they had a, they had a very severe trial that took place in their life. Um, very late in the pregnancy, uh, the baby all of a sudden stopped moving. And um, they, went, they went into the doctors and they discovered 
the, what they had feared, that the baby had, had died very, very, very late in the pregnancy. It might have been about 34 weeks. And they were, they were distressed. They discovered that a very rare and freak accident had taken place where the umbilical cord actually wrapped around the neck and the baby had choked in the womb. And I remember going to my wife and I and we, we went to the funeral and um, it was terrible. It was so sad. And, you know, every, everyone was crying. And yet I was so inspired by this young couple's faith. They didn't doubt God's love. They didn't utter a single word of discouragement. They didn't blame God. But they were able to praise God through the midst of that storm. And trust that one day they will see their baby boy again. Can you say amen to that? Sometimes we don't know why. We don't know why these things happen to us. We can't explain it here and now. But in eternity, if we hold true to Jesus, we will see that his promises are true and that God is always faithful. And so we all face trials. Whatever trials you're facing, it could be at home. There could be trials within your home. Stay close to Jesus. You know, there could be trials at work, in the workplace, different pressures that you're under, different stresses that you're facing. Stay close to Jesus. Look to Jesus. You might be facing trials of sickness, and might be not being, being able to understand why this is happening. Look to Jesus. Trust in Him. Never take your eyes off Him. There may be some young people who are facing pressures. Pressures that are only getting more and more difficult as time goes on for young people to stay true to God. To resist the temptations of this world. Trust that Jesus will be with you to give you the strength to carry through. Whatever trial that we face... We can trust that Jesus is with us and that he will carry us through that trial. So I want to finish with, uh, with just one more, one more quote. I don't know if it's coming up on the screen there, but it's well known. It's in Romans 8.28. It's an amazing promise. It says, and we know that all things work together for, the, for good. For those who love God, for those who are the called according to his purpose. Today, I want to encourage you to take hold of that promise, to trust that no matter what's happening, God is at work. God is still good. God is still a God of love. Never doubt that for a moment, and that God can carry us through those trials. And by staying steadfast, and by, being, and, and by smiling through those trials, countless others will be led to know Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we don't want trials, we don't invite trials, but we recognize that they are a part and parcel of life. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that Jesus, you have gone through more trials than any of us will ever have to go through, and we just pray that the Holy Spirit would direct our thoughts to Jesus whenever we are feeling overwhelmed and discouraged. Help us to look to Jesus and to be able to find peace and rest in his love and the assurance of eternity with him is our prayer in Jesus' precious name, amen.